crash. From the Middle English, crashchen, verb, to break with violence, to appear uninvited. Noun, a loud sound, the result of a person or object falling, a sudden failure of a business. Crash, from the Russian, kreshnia. Noun, a rough fabric, sometimes used to strengthen the spine of a book. Crash. In the confusion left behind, the three pearls found themselves in wailing of worries, a wall of wails, a worry of walls. There were tears on top of tears and endless fears that worsen when shared. Summer didn't sleep. She opened the family piggy bank and counted everything inside. She called the police station many times each day, reminding them to continue looking for her husband. Early stayed home from school, not wanting to leave the other two. The police didn't seem to take things seriously. Lots of men disappear for a while and then turn up again, one detective told Summer. You're not hearing me, Summer said, her voice hard. My husband isn't one of those men. The detective asked questions about what Dashiell did at his library job. Had Summer seen anything illegal or unusual going on? Absolutely not, Summer responded. But Early knew a secret. About a week ago, she'd seen Dashiell add to a thick envelope of money hidden inside one of the encyclopedias stacked under a lamp. He had brought a load of books upstairs early one evening after calling out book business be right back while summer was reading to the kids on the bed early tired of listening to juby's story had moved to the other side of the screen while her mother kept reading wanting to finish her own book early opened to an exciting place when dashiell returned he hadn't seen her curled up in the corner still as a mouse. He'd stepped into the apartment, pulled an envelope from his jacket pocket, slid it open, and counted some bills. Then he'd walk quickly to the nearest stack of encyclopedias, unwrapped the yellow caution tape, and slipped a fat envelope from the middle of a volume before he realized Early was watching him. Dash hesitated for a split second, something he rarely did, then said, Curious? Shh! Gonna surprise your son with this one. Not a word now, promise, or you'll get me in trouble. He slid the money into the envelope, replaced it, then retied and patted the encyclopedia table, as if to say, safe here. Early nodded, pleased to keep her father's secret, she knew some loved a surprise, but now Dash had disappeared. What should she do? She wished she'd never click seen her father with that envelope. What should I do, Dash? She whispered. No answer. The promise now felt like poison. You'll get me in trouble, he'd said trouble with whom? Was he serious? What if telling some hurt Dash? 
Or what if some felt like she had to tell the police about the money, not understanding why it should stay a secret? What if that got Dash in so much trouble that he couldn't come home? Early was caught in a nasty circle of thoughts. Trouble was a muddy, bad news word, a sound that disturbed. It stuck in your mouth like gunk from the street clinging to the bottom of your shoe. Early rarely heard a word she thought was ugly. The trouble was one. Crash. Dashel Pearl had been gone for four days and nothing was okay. Juby whined and asked, but when is Dash coming home? Again and again. Early felt as though someone had removed her insides, leaving her scooped out like a melon. She felt as light and strange as she imagined the dead might feel if they could tell you about it. And Summer paced, wept and moaned to herself and to her husband. Early put a pillow over her ears at night so that she couldn't hear her mother murmuring, please, Dash, please, over and over, her feet padding back and forth in the big room. On day five, Early went back to school. Her friends were glad to see her, but somehow shy, her buddy Lanisha said, don't worry, after my dad left, it was bad for a while, but things got better. Now my mom even has a boyfriend I like, one who bought us a new TV. Early's face crumpled and she burst into tears. Then she sobbed. You don't know my family. My father's not like yours. He'd never leave. Lanisha walked away, shrugging as if to say, you'll find out. When one of Early's teachers stepped in with a hug and a box of tissues, Early could tell she also believed that Dash was gone. When some asked how school had gone that day, Early said only, fine. She didn't want to tell her mother about the things Lanisha had said. Inside, Early decided to change the rhythm of this story, at least in public. The next day, she walked into her classroom and went up to the teacher. My dad is home. He was doing book business. I wanted to surprise us with some good news. We might be moving to our own home. She heard herself saying it and wondered as the words flowed out, if a lie could sometimes persuade the truth to happen. Lanisha was suspicious and asked if she could come over to play. Soon, Early promised. My mother hasn't been feeling well lately, but she'll be better soon. She didn't look up, not wanting to see Lanisha's expression. Early began to spend less time with her friends at school and more with a book, especially during lunch. Crash. Early. What are we going to do, girl? Summer moaned one night when Juby had finished his bowl of macaroni and cheese and asked for fruit and a cookie. She'd had to tell him there was no more food for that day. He'd look sad, but had gone off in a corner to play. I'm almost out of money. 
I shouldn't be telling you this, but we're broke. I don't have anyone to watch Juby while I work, and I don't have a job. I guess I need to find a social service office that can maybe help us with food stamps and rent. Although I'm not sure they'll do that when I'm not employed. Our account is close to empty. I thought we had more savings. What with Dash's book business pay? But I guess not. I tried calling my parents, but they have no phone listed now. No phone and no address. Probably just as well. I can't imagine exposing my babies to all the meanness and fighting in that household. I don't have any other family, and you know Dash doesn't. What are we going to do? She reached for the dish towel to wipe away tears. They'd stopped buying tissues the week before. Some, Early whispered. Her mother looked up and tilted her head. You can talk. Juby's busy. Vroom, vroom, came from the corner. Early blurted quickly. I was reading one night last week when Dash came in from book business. He pulled some paper money out of his pocket and added it to an envelope hidden in one of the encyclopedia stacks. Then he saw that I saw and told me not to tell. He said it was a surprise for you and he didn't want me to get him in trouble. I promised, but now... Her voice wobbled in silence. Her mom's face was hard to figure out. She looked partly pleased and partly shocked. He was hiding it? She asked. Early shrugged, wiping her nose on the back of her hand. We hide Christmas presents from each other every year, right? Right, said Summer, her voice sounding stronger. And you were right to tell me. I know you promised, but that was before. She grabbed for the dish towel again and turned away, shaking her head. This is all such a bad dream, some whispered. Where is he? Early patted her mum's back and some spun around and hugged her daughter tight, resting her cheek on the top of Early's head. Dash would want us to do this, some said slowly, her voice flat. She pulled scissors from the kitchen drawer and Early pointed to the volume with a swell at the edge of its pages. Some clipped the caution tape holding the stack, pulled out the book and flipped it open. Early watched as some peered cautiously into the envelope, her eyes bigger by the second. Dear God, she said, what was your father up to? Crash. You got money, some? Shouted Juby, dropping his truck in excitement. You got money! Let's get some cookies right now. Shh, said Summer. And early at the same time, in the excitement over the envelope, neither had thought about hiding the discovery from Juby. Summer turned her back to the kids and standing over the kitchen sink, counted the stack of bills. Well, I'll be, was all she muttered. She looked out the window at the blank wall. What on earth? Early, wanting to see too but realizing she had to distract Juby, took him into bed to read aloud. I'm reading tonight, Juby, she said, feeling 
suddenly like she and her mother were in a new place together. And I'm sure you and some can get some cookies tomorrow. Juby squinted up at her. What you think you got big because we got money? He asked. Hey, early. Think some will get me a new truck with that? And hey, I want Dash to pick, take me to pick out a truck. Only Dash. His voice cracked suddenly. And early hurried to open the book. It was Need a House. Call Miss Mouse, a book about a mouse architect who designed unique homes for all kinds of creatures. Soon, Juby was busy studying Lizard's house. I like that better than Fox's house, don't you, Early? And look, I want a sun porch and a ladder, just like that, and the pulley with the handle and the net for catching bugs. After Juby was fast asleep, Early tiptoed into the kitchen. Some was still standing at the counter. Early, you gotta think hard now. We need all your good memory and brains. You know how you and Dash had times in the evenings to read and stuff while I was putting Juby to bed? What kind of things were you guys talking about recently? Early sat on the counter near her mother and crossed her arms. Well... I'm thinking. He was reading a mystery writer named Agatha Christie and also things she said about her life. Dash put some of her ideas in the quote book. He said her plots were very clever, that sometimes all the clues were right in front of you, but perfectly hidden. Hidden in plain sight. He also said she disappeared for a while and no one could find her almost as if she stepped into one of her books, then stepped out again. Huh? said Summer. She pulled the quote book off the family bookshelf and thumbed through the recent pages. Listen, she said. Here are four from Agatha Christie. Some read the following aloud, adding comments. The popular idea that a child forgets easily is not an accurate one. Many people go right through life in the grip of an idea which has been impressed on them in very tender years. Hmm. The best time to plan a book is while you're doing the dishes. I love that one. The secret of getting ahead is getting started. Ooh, yes. Don't we know it? Very few of us are what we see. Here, Summer frowned, a sudden crease crumpling the hopeful expression on her face. Neither she nor Early said anything for a moment. Some repeated her words slowly, and the frown lifted. Ah, he was talking about being so much smarter than the job he was doing. I know it. He had so many creative ideas and wasn't able to use them all at work. Not yet. She stopped, quickly adding, he, was, he had so much brain power, you know. He just hasn't had an opportunity to show the world yet. That's all that quote meant. Early nodded, but both went to sleep in worried silence, a space heavy with questions and sadness. 
Was it really okay that she'd broken her promise to Dash? What if she and some were wrong? And how much money was in that envelope? She knew some was shocked by the amount and wondered why. But no, she didn't want to hear any more of Dash's secret. No, 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 no. If only Dash would walk in that door, Summer said into the dark. He will, Some said early from the other side of the screen. And meanwhile, he'd want us to use that money to eat. Don't you think? He'd understand that we had to ruin his surprise. Of course he would, baby, said some. Her tone made Early's eyes fill with tears. It sounded the way their family always used to feel. The next morning, Summer pulled the envelope out from under her mattress, and while she made herself an early tidy, French braids, a do that always left them both feeling extra ready, she told her the plan. While you're in school, Juby and I will go downtown to the library and surprise them with a visit. I've only been back once since the day Dash disappeared, and now I'd like to ask a few careful questions. Early stomach tightened into a worried knot. A burp of breakfast cereal came back up her throat. You telling? She blurted. About, you know. I don't want to. Not yet. Dash earned this extra for us by doing some smart work outside of his library job. The library may not have realized he was even doing it, and rightly so. None of their business. You know, he was so good at seeing an opportunity. He may have been on his way to earning us a home before he even got to library school. But some, Early said, you don't think Dash got himself in trouble with, with bad guys or anything, do you? Remember when you and Dash were talking about the book business and you were, well, kind of worried? Early, Summer spun her around. Don't you allow that thought into your head and I won't allow it into mine. Your father was way too smart and far too good for that. But where is he? Summer took a deep breath and then slowly blew it out. That's why I'm going back to the library. The police don't seem to believe us when we say that Dash was not a man to run away or get himself into hot water. So Juby and I will do a little detective work on our own. Don't you want me there? Always. But one look at that sweet little face of yours and they'll see you're all ears. I want the staff and librarians to tell me anything that comes to mind. You know, Early nodded. Will you remember it all and tell me later? Absolutely. Early was quiet while her mom finished the braid. She thought of her dad's note about a beat of threes. She'd give anything for them to be a four again. What should I do, Dash? She asked silently, holding her breath. She waited. The room was silent, and her head felt empty. The only sound were her mother's breathing, the shh of the brush in her hair, and the click, click of Juby's truck as it rolled over the linoleum tiles. Crash! Lunchtime. That day brought a surprise. Early had hurried off to the library room, wanting a book about Langston Hughes, hungry for his company, she hoped that his words might somehow bring Dash closer. 
she found only an old, worn collection of Langston's poetry, one that hadn't been checked out for ages. She noticed inside the cover that the poet had died in 1967, almost 50 years ago. She was surprised. Dash had made him seem so alive, sharing lots of details about the man's life and some of his got-soul, gotta-sing-it poems. Now she realized something else about Langston. He liked the word dream. He used it a lot. So did Dash. She wished she had the family quote book to write in, but opened her school notebook instead and copied down parts of the poem that caught her eye. This was something that Dash had talked her was okay. You could pick out what felt surprising in a book or a poem and then save it as long as you also wrote down the name of the person who wrote it first. The quote root, kind of like the word roots in the dictionary, Early had said, exactly, Dashiell had beamed. You are one girl who's putting down her own roots. The deeper you go, the finer you grow, he'd said and laughed. Hey, like my sit-up rhyme, maybe one day someone will quote a pearl. Yeah, sit up. Early had said, held in the warm rhythm of her father's language. The first poem Early kept that day in the library was one called The Dream Keeper. It was about gathering and collecting dreams, wrapping them in a blue cloud cloth to keep them safe from the two rough fingers of the world. She wondered if a page from one of their family notebooks, a page of dreams, could find its way to the keeper. Then she copied a poem called I Dream a World, in which Langston dreamed of people of all races being able to share the riches of the earth equally, a world in which joy was like a pearl. Early swallowed hard and kept reading. Next, she found a poem called Dream Dust, which Early knew her father would also treasure. Langston was saying that dream dust drawn magically from stars, earth, clouds, storms and splinters of hail from good and bad times should never be for sale. Now she was hunting and found a long and leafy poem for Russell and Rowena Jilliffe, one that seemed to twirl and fly even as it talked of roots and trunks and dreams. Early's favorite lines were, and so the root becomes a trunk and then a tree and seeds of trees and springtime sap and summer shade and autumn leaves and shapes of poems and dreams and more than tree. And so it is with those who make of life a flower, a tree, a dream. These first four poems sang, soothing her heart, but early crashed back to reality with the next. The title was simply Dreams, cold and dark, far from a joyful sit-up message. It felt more like a warning. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field 
frozen with snow. She looked out the library window. Snow was falling lightly, catching in feathery, wing-like drifts on the sills of the brown stone opposite. Each drift seemed filled with air, the edges tapering to a whisper where they met stone. But if those wings, those were wings, Early noted, their birds were in trouble. Wing, root, home, dream. All of those Langston-y words sounded like what they meant. Wing, almost weightless. Root, digging down. And dream, soaring. Dream. It had a smooth, shiny sound. Root, plus wings, plus dreams, equals home. Early thought suddenly to herself, sitting up straighter in her chair. Dig down, fly high, remember where you want to go. Then one day you'll get there. Roots plus wings plus dreams equals home. That was an arithmetic sum that her dash would approve of, she thought, with a little wriggle of pride. Having been uprooted many times as a kid, Dash didn't take a strong beginning lightly. Neither did Langston, and language for both was the key to survival. The key. In the next moment, clear as the snap of a carrot or the clap of a closing book, she heard Dashiell's voice. You, my girl, early, hold fast to dreams. You can do this. Not as hard as it seems. Early froze, her pencil in the air. She looked around the library. A boy working nearby didn't seem to have heard a thing. A shocked shiver made her twist quickly and look behind herself. She peeked under the table. Nothing but her rings, but her, but her legs. She nodded, one hand over her mouth. She whispered, I will, Dash, I promise. And then the thrill of hearing his voice spiraled downward into a dark pool of dread. Did that mean... She wouldn't even allow the thought into words. She pushed it away. Push, push, push. Dash was fine and had somehow sent her a message. But what did he want her to do? She glanced at her page of Langston dream quotes, the letters now blurring through tears. With Dash, life was a step-by-step adventure one in which the colors were sharp and the path clear. Everything felt valuable, important, lucky, ripe with dreams, worth experiencing, whether it was a poem or a neighborhood, each day mattered. Now Early realized that a light had gone out and the three pearls were lost. She was late for her next class, leaving Langston's dreams on the table. Early ran. Crash. When Sum and Juby picked her up outside school that afternoon, she knew in a dreadful thunk that something had gone wrong. 
Juby handed her two animal crackers from a box he was holding under his chin, saying, Look, early, my own box. Some got it for me. And there's hippos inside. And I also got a new blue truck. I'm keeping it safe in my pocket till we're home. No losing for me. It had stopped snowing, but was cruelly cold outside. Juby's coat was partly unzipped, and goo from his nose ran down his upper lip. Some didn't even know, seemed to notice, which wasn't like her at all. Oh, early, she said. Everything went wrong. Let's get home. They walked the next three blocks in silence, except for Juby's pleased animal chirpings and tiger Grr, ooh, ooh, a monkey with no head. Want one early? Sure, she'd said quietly. What went wrong? She was afraid to know. Once inside their apartment, some checked the lock on the door twice and then Juby, and told Juby he could listen to a CD and also play with his new truck. She washed his hands, wiped his face, and put away the box of crackers and set him up on the pillow at the other side of the room. She and Early stood by the kitchen sink, facing away from Juby. Summer's hands went out, fingers spread. Her eyebrows and eyes went up. Her mouth went down. She squinched her eyes and two quick blinks, but the tears rolled anyway. Oh, some... Early hugged her mother, tucking her head into Sum's neck. Summer was crying hard now, her chest heaving. She hugged her daughter's back, a long squeeze, and turned away to grab the dish towel. Miss having tissues around here, she tried to smile. Oh, Early, I'm so sorry, baby. I don't know what to do next. And I might have gotten us into hot water now, really hot. People know about the money. Her voice rose to a squeak. Stupid of me. And I don't think I've even learned anything new to help us find your father. I can't think. I feel bad talking to you, but it wouldn't be right not to. It's just us three right now, and I need your help. Can't think straight. My mind is just a mess. A mess. And Dash is not here to make it okay. The tears poured again. Tell me, son. Early tried to sound calm and grown up, but inside she was covering her tears, screaming, no, no more. I'm just a kid. Her mother told her. After Summer and Juby had left that morning, they'd gone to the neighborhood bank. Dashiell had opened an account a couple of years earlier, not wanting to use the deposit function on a cash machine. Summer waited for a teller. Juby next to her. She had been to the bank the day after Dashiell vanished and was surprised that the account was so low, only $110. She'd withdrawn all but $10, which was needed to keep the account open. Dash had handed her an everyday expense envelope each week at home, and they'd always paid the rent in cash. So she had no idea how low their account had gotten. That was the first shock, but she'd explained it away. And now, standing in line, Summer wondered if there was a reason Dash hadn't deposited that envelope of money. Why was it hidden at home?
Grabbing Juby's hand, she'd left the bank. But on the ride down to the public library, the envelope with cash still buried deep in her purse, she turned the bank question around in her head. What had Dashiell been doing? Was he planning to put cash into his book business, believing it was going to make them lots more, but not wanting to worry her? And what exactly was that business? What kind of person was in charge? And why would her dear husband hide all that information from her? Summer had never known that they had any real secrets, only the happy kind. And she knew that if Dashiell had hidden something from her, it was only to protect Dasham early Juby. But from what? So some continued telling early. She and Juby arrived at the big town downtown, the big downtown library, and headed up six floors to history and social sciences. The longtime librarian at the front desk, Mrs. Warnsmer, jumped up to give them both a big hug. But she looked tired. Some had never seen the woman so nervous and distracted, and she had eyeliner on only one eye. Bad sign. Any news? The librarian asked. I just can't believe it. He's the last. Absolute last person in the world who'd get in any kind of trouble. I mean, Dashiell Pearl, a man any of us would trust forever. Thank you, some replied. Tell the police that, will you? Miss Warmser nodded. Then sent them back to see the visiting supervisor, a man who had been brought in to handle budget cuts throughout the library system. He'd apparently already asked to see Summer if she came in. Summer had heard about his arrival at the library, but hadn't met him. Mr. Wade Pincer jumped up from his chair, asked how Summer was doing, and welcomed her to his office. He found a cherry lollipop for Juby, who sat on Sum's lap. Have you heard anything? Mr. Pincer asked. He straightened his tie, which Summer said was covered with a distracting pattern of lobster claws. Summer shook her head. No, and I just can't understand it. I mean, Dashiell, the most dependable man in all of Chicago, you know. The supervisor smiled and nodded. A very intelligent and promising young man. Yes, on his way, devoted to his family. That much was obvious. It's a tragedy. The man broke off, seeing Summer's face. I mean, uh, it's a mystery. Tragedy? Summer repeated. You talk as if he's gone. Something has happened, but we don't know what. That's all. Speaking of mysteries, Summer hesitated for a moment, swallowed, then went on in a rush. Did anyone ever hear him talking about his book business? Mr. Pincer's face went from smooth, sweet guy chocolate to brown steel. What's that? He asked. Then he said it again. What's that? Oh, nothing really. Summer paused again, suddenly hearing the man's suspicion. She hadn't planned to share the book business information, but now it seemed like it might be a better idea to be open. It could make things worse to hide what she knew. Some went on, her voice calm and steady. My husband was learning as much as he could about old books. 
and their value. And sometimes he had boxes arrive at our apartment and he'd go through them. She'd pack them up again and take them downstairs. Al, who also works at the library here, picked them up. Dash even found a special book for the family, a treasure that was unusual and that he knew we'd all love too. He only kept it after paying for it, of course. Here, Mr. Pincer interrupted her. Like what? What? Some thought Mr. Pincer looked a little too curious at that moment. So she said, I can't remember the name. Sorry. The supervisor was writing on a pad. Any library cards inside? Libraries often get rid of older books, but then you're still see the branch name somewhere inside, inside. Mr. Pincer was beginning to echo himself. Summer shook her head. Not that I remember. And by the way, is Dash's friend Al here today? I'd like to meet him and ask a few questions. Mr. Pincer shook his head. Not here. Not here. Is he sick? Some asked. Sick? Mr. Pincer nodded. Sick. And did you ever look through the boxes with your husband? Did you? Rarely. He usually opened them at a time of day when I was busy with bath time. First he'd do the dishes and then book boxes if he had any. The supervisor cleared his throat. Did these boxes start arriving just after his hours were reduced? What? Some asked. His hours? They were cut back by 20%. Oh, a little over a month ago because of new budget restrictions. Oh, yes, some said, realizing she should work hard to hide her confusion as it didn't look good. Why hadn't Dash told her? Inside, she was shocked. Does that mean, yes, they started arriving at that time? Mr. Pincer was staring at her. Some looked at her hands. About, she said, and then struggled to collect herself. Darn! She would never have mentioned the book business to this creepy supervisor if she'd known the dreadful news. Poor Dash. No wonder their account was so low. Mr. Pincer's chair squeaked abruptly, interrupting her thoughts. Did Dash tell you who sent him these books? Was there a name or return address on the outside of these boxes? No name, just my husband's and just her address in both the to and from parts of the label. Mr. Pincer nodded and cleared his throat again, this time louder than before. Did you see the person who picked up the boxes? The person? No, but as I said, it was this guy, Al, who I actually never met. Dashiell had a role to play in passing the books along and was pleased to be doing it. He followed the directions Al gave him, making a list of what was in each box. Al paid him. The extra money went toward our savings for a home. And this was the kind of work my husband loved, rescuing old, unwanted books, giving them a new life. Summer paused here in the retelling of the story. You okay early? She asked. Her daughter nodded. Of course, I realized right away that Dash hadn't told me about his reduced hours because he didn't want any of us to worry. I'm sure he spent the extra time, of, extra bit of time working on his own research, the book lists and whatever else, reading. 
They both looked over at Juby, who was listening to a story and driving his blue truck busily up and over cushions. Summer continued. The supervisor then asked if I didn't think it was odd that these surplus books brought in money before they were sold. I started to get mad. I said, what are you implying, Mr. Pincer? You must have heard of people selling old family things to antique shops, which then sell them again. Seems to me this is no different. The original book dealer probably liked Al and Dashiell because they were Chicago Public Library employees and happy to do their part in passing along the books, being eager for anything extra. Lord knows we've made every penny we have. My husband is trustworthy and smart, learns quickly and knows how to make how to look up things and ask questions. You know, he is a man to trust. Plus, the books were being picked up by someone from this library. If anyone should be suspicious here, it should be me. I mean, where in God's name is my husband? Then the man looked right at her hard and asked, Do you know how much money Dashiell was getting for these books? Some started to shake her head and Juby piped up. We found money inside an encyclopedia last night. A fat lump. And then took it to the bank. But we left before I got my lollipop. And then I got a new blue truck. Mr. Pincer said, really? Aren't you lucky, son? And I knew we were in trouble. Some finished. Crash. Don't leave, Mr. Pincer had ordered, then left himself. The door banged shut. Some sat in silence while Juby slithered to the floor and drove his blue truck back and forth over the crumbs. And his bits of lettuce, every few seconds, he paused to flick something out of the way. After ten long minutes, the door flew open and Mr. Pincer strode in with a police detective. Some wondered how he'd grabbed one so quickly. Lyman Scrub, did you say? the officer asked, writing busily. Summer realized then that Mr. Pincer hadn't asked her for the bookseller's name. The detective told Mr. Pincer that they didn't have a reason to search the Pearl apartment or bother Summer any further, but that they'd try to figure out where these books were coming from and where they were going. Please do, Mr. Pincer said smoothly. We're concerned. Some who was getting good and angry had asked if businesses that buy and sell used books in this country are considered criminal. Like Amazon, she'd added, or Powell's books. Of course not, the detective had said. We just need to investigate under the circumstances since the sus... I mean, since the individual involved disappeared recently. After working in that building with a lot of valuable books, I heard that snap some. You were going to say suspect. Well, what's happened to investigating the disappearance of an innocent, hardworking man? And by the way, she added to Mr. Pincer, don't forget to help the cops figure out who all of your current employees was coming by to pick up the books. Dashiell got in the mail and count all your priceless additions, will you? All the ones Dashiell may have touched, by all means. Sum's face was bleak. Now that she was finished telling her story. So that's it, Hurley, she said. What should we do? 
seems like we should search this place before the police do, Early said. In every mystery she'd ever read or seen, private detectives and police had a way of getting into people's homes, even when they weren't expected or invited. Sometimes that was good and sometimes bad, depending on whose side you were on. My thought, too, Summer was frowning. But, well, what if we do find more? What then? If we start hiding things from the police and they'd find out, it won't look good. Some was quiet for a moment. Let's have dinner. I'll read aloud right away and get Juby to bed. Then you and I will look. It's too much to ask a four-year-old to keep a big secret like that. I mean, I can't tell him to lie to the police. That's so against everything Dash and I have taught you, kids. Early hopped up and where she'd sat down at the kitchen table. I'll make us some franks and beans. I'll do it by myself. And meanwhile, maybe you should search the mattress in case there's more money under it before you and Joby, Juby go into read. Some gave Early a big hug. I'm sorry, baby, to make you help me with all these worries. I just don't know what else to do. It's dash some Early, Early said, pulling out pans and raising her voice. Then she added, hold fast to dreams, some. Her mother tilted her head to one side and looked at her daughter. You are your father's girl, she said, and gave her a thank goodness hug. They ate, did dishes. Some whizzed. Juby threw his bath into his pajamas and onto the double bed for stories. It wasn't his usual bedtime, but Juby couldn't tell, and it had been dark for hours anyway. Plus, he'd had a big day and was yawning. Early picked up the quote book and leafed through some of the entries Dash had made. She was looking for Langston's poems. First, she found that one that began, Hold Fast to Dreams. With a shiver, she realized that Dash had copied this into their notebook before the gentler, happier ones. Next, another dream poem, an angrier one. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore, then, then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load, or does it explode? She looked up the word defer and entered this in the word, Middle English from defren, verb to delay or to put something off, to give in or to someone's wishes. That wouldn't happen to Dash's dreams, not if. It's the last thing I do, she muttered. Then she turned a few more pages and found this from a book called The Big Sea that Langston wrote about his life. The only way to get a thing done is to start to do it, then keep on doing it, and finally you'll finish it. Was there more about dreams in the first book of rhythms? A clue to Dash's thinking that might help her. She pulled the book down from its shelf and had just settled back at the table when, bam, 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 a knock through the room. Juby screeched in terror. Summer screeched, early, come back here. And then the girl flew behind the screen and jumped on the bed next to her mother and brother. Bam, 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 went the pounding on their door. Police shouted a woman's voice, open up. Police, don't move, Summer whispered, an arm around each child. We're not letting them in, the detective said. They had no reason for a search warrant. This is too fast for them to really be the law. Not a sound, not a sound. Police, a man's voice shouted. There were sounds of something heavy being dragged and a hammering. We're coming in. And then it was quiet, deafening quiet. All three listened, their hearts pounding. My brave babies, some whispered, they'll go away. 
Chibi Wimby, I'm scared. I want Dash. He began to cry. Shh, I'll be fine, his mother said. Shouldn't we be calling 911 for help, Early asked. I will, some said, pulling the phone out of her pocket. She began to press buttons, her hands shaking. Last chance, a deep voice called through the door. Summer said a bad word, and both kids looked up at their mom. She never said that. Then she stood and called out, her voice as steady and strong as she could make it. Prove it. Prove you're the police. Prove it before I open my door. There was no response from the hall, just a scraping down and heavy grunts. The three pearls froze as if not moving. Make them safe. Could make them safe. And then, kabash! A huge earth shattering smash. The building shuddered as their front door wanged inward, landing on top of the coffee table. Wood splintered, screaming, shouting. Bedtime exploded into nightmare. Early sign. Outside the door, the one that said welcome to our home was ripped in half in the bathtub with the four pearls crushed beneath a heavy boot. Three men and one woman, all with silver masks on their faces, black ski jackets and hats and gloves, burst into the room. The screen hiding the double bed smacked to the floor. Face the corner over there, the man shouted after grabbing Summer's cell phone from her hands. He stamped. Plastic shattered, metal skittered across the floor. Summer grabbed the kids and pushed them down against the wall nearby, making as much of a shelter as possible with her back and open arms. The three couldn't see what went on, but heard it. Books were being thrown into boxes. Cabinet doors ripped off their hinges. Pillows were slid open. Food was dumped on the floor. Don't move. Do what they say. Summer sobbed. The kids were a painful tangle of tears and trembling knees, chins, elbows, and ankles, all packed tight against their mother's body. The man who'd first spoken grabbed Summer by the hair and pulled her off the kids. Where to keep it? The silver face asked. Where? Summer, her eyes huge, said, I don't know what you're looking for. The man pushed her and she fell backward, her head landing with a sickening thud on the edge of the broken coffee table. She crumpled. Ice, he shouted. She looked up. Shocked and confused, he was telling her to get ice to soothe her injury. She didn't dare obey. One hand to her head, Summer said quickly. He kept his real book, Money at Work. That's the big library downtown. Look upstairs on the sixth floor. Not here with us. The man reached over and grabbed Early by both arms, jerking her upright. Summer spun sideways and grabbed her legs, anchoring from below. Yikes! Early shrieked. The silver face was directly in front of her now, and his breath smelled like old sneakers. Old sneakers plus sweaty armpits. She saw pale skin around his eyes, nostrils, almost no lashes, and one dark mole in the middle of his head. Wagazi. Maybe you can. Come in. Show me. Show me before I do something to make you real sad, the man shook early and pulled her higher, trying to break Summer's grip. No, Summer screamed. Let go. That's all I know. Dashiell Pearl would never put his family in danger on purpose. He didn't tell me any details. I just know it's not here. Would you do that to your wife and kids? Hide money in your home? The man paused and just as suddenly dropped early. I'm not kind of lies, he roared, especially Rose, widow ones. I'll find you tree if I need you. Oh, yes, I will. You got all the books? One of the other men, other three nodded. That seems to satisfy the speaker. He jerked his head across the wreckage toward their now permanently open door.
Their four took off, clattering at a run down the hallway, boxes in arms. Summer sat up and hugged the kids. There were a few minutes when nothing happened but tears. When she could speak, some said, well, we're alive and not too hurt. Sorry, I had to lie. She dabbed her face in her sleeve and looked around. The no sticky fingers shelf was empty. Oh, dash, she wailed. It's all gone. Where are you? Be okay. We need you so bad. An old woman living down the stairs was the only one to appear. Afterwards, she, her slippers so quietly that they didn't hear her coming. Neighbors in Woodlawn were generally afraid to open their doors at night if they heard trouble and didn't, unless it was family or their own business. The woman somehow had always said hello to the pearls, had a ragged sweater on over her house dress, and her hair was pulled back in a tired bun. Oh, my, she said, shaking her head. Oh, my. Can we stay with you tonight, Summer asked. We've never visited, but we've passed on the stairs. I know my husband, Dash, has sometimes carried groceries for you. I'm Summer, Pearl, and this is early in jubilation. I know it's a lot to ask, but just one night, the old woman was already shaking her head like to say yes, but I know they're kind, she said sadly. Scum whose business is to frighten. They'll go after anyone to get what they want. You and the babies won't. Shouldn't be where they can find you again. No place near. You best get to a city shelter, not even to your folks' place or the local station, which they could be watching. Criminals like that, they won't hesitate a second time. Hurry, girl, no waste, no time to waste. The woman stepped into the home and to set work. She hustled Juby into clean clothes, filled an ice bag for Summer's forehead, which was swelling. Some and early stuffed grocery bags with their clothes. Only one book left. Only one, only book left. Oddly, it was the first book of rhythms. It had slipped beneath a newspaper under the broken coffee table. With every step, they slid and crunched on cereal, torn magazines, smashed dishes, slashed family photographs, unused garbage bags, supplies like screwdrivers, a broom, and a mop. Even the out-of-date encyclopedias that Dashiell had turned into tables were gone. One lamp with the bulb still burning lay on its side, and Summer pulled off the crumpled shade. She held the light high so that they could get one last look. Anyone watching would have seen a woman standing like the Statue of Liberty, but without the crown, the gown, or the hope, a woman without. Her notebooks, early wailed, pawing through the piles underfoot, they took the quote and word ones, even mine. Thieves, Summer said. They got Dash's envelope of cash and also my wallet, every last penny. I just can't believe they took all of that on top of destroying our home. She stamped her foot half-heartedly, then grabbed her head. Oh, she said, tears creeping into her voice. Youch. She turned toward the old woman. You've been so good to us but how do we find a shelter? And there, without any money, I've never even been inside one. Dal 31 run from the police precinct, the woman replied, her voice kind. My, my, did you have a good man? Not to know that number? Shuffle along now, come quickly. Turn out that light and turn your backs on the mess. My grandson down the street will drive you where you need to go. Early could see some holding the broken door. There was no way of putting it back on. The only way to fix it, the whole apartment, would be to hire someone, and she knew that was impossible without money. They had to go. There was no living in an apartment. Hurry, girl, the woman said. You gotta go. Juby's box of animal crackers had survived, and he had put his blue truck carefully inside it and closed the rooftop. Early checked to be sure that the Langston Rhythms 
Summer clicked off the lamp she'd been holding, set it down gently, and gave one last look around their home. It had become a spooky landscape of destruction, a true field of broken dreams beneath the family streetlight that had always lit their sleep. How? Could that light still shine calm and bright? When their world was gone, the wind outside had picked up and the snow peppered with ice hit the wind with a shh, shh. Not did, do, she said softly. I do have a good man. And if my husband comes looking for us, can you tell him where we've gone? By then the woman was shooing them out practically pushing them past their broken front door, down the hall to their tiny apartment, busy dialing numbers. She didn't reply. They can't stay in Woodlawn, Early heard her say. Just get them to a place where they can rest safe tonight. Early's eyes lingered on everything familiar, the splintery stale rail, the wall stain shaped like a cat, the bulbs hanging from chains overhead as they left the building. Some held Juby's hand, as well as Early's, the bags bumping between them. A place to rest safe. Early had never imagined her family losing their home and fleeing into a night of unknowns. And all without dash, the front door opened on a wall of cold. Maybe this icy wind will help. Early thought to herself, at least by numbing the shock and pain. Ice on an ice wound. Ice. <laughs>